0: Welcome back. My guest today is the plant power doctor, the name of her first book, Dr. Gemma Newman, who specializes after 20 years practice of medicine in sort of holistic healing. If you if you think about it, Uh, she's a very, very big advocate of the idea that plant food, a balanced plant food diet would uh, take you a very, very long way. As all of you know, I'm newly married and my wonderful wife actually wants me to live a long life. Interesting. So yeah, good sign. And so I'm very, very keen on having a healthy life. Dr. Newman's new book is called Get Well, Stay Well. I have not actually read it because I wanted to learn it from her. And this is my copy now. Lovely signed for me. Get Well, Stay Well, I think is a very good idea. I think it would please my wife. So that's going to be the conversation for us today. How to get well and stay well. Gemma, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for allowing me to challenge this a little bit, if you don't mind, at the beginning. Okay, so I really want to get well and stay well. I really do. But some people tell me because I'm a man and in my 50s, I need to eat a lot of protein and work out with heavy lifting. Others will tell me, no, 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 it's plant-based and don't ever stress your joints. Some people will tell me, take your supplements. Some others will tell me, don't take your supplements. I think there is a bit of the truth in all of them. OK, but, you know, every one of them will be a very strong advocate for what they believe. So can we start from why plant food? Why do you think that's the answer?
1: So hello, Mo. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. And I know that your wife is going to be very happy once she read this <laughs> book. <laughs>
0: yes, I th- she's actually quite, a ve- you know, conscious around what she eats. So inspiring, to be honest, because, you know, in previous relationships in my life, I would be told what to eat. Interesting. Uh, she she sets an example. So she eats really healthy and in a very interesting way. I'm like, I can do that. It actually looks delicious.
1: So she inspires you through action and through her own example rather than telling you what to we, do? Yes.
0: We, we men don't like to be told what to do.
1: I don't think anyone likes being okay, told what yes, to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that in 20 years of clinical practice. You know, <laughs> it's a harsh lesson to learn when you're a young doctor and you think that you know everything. And you think that you've learned all the things there are to learn. And if you follow the protocols, then your patients are going to get better if they just listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And the hubris of that, the arrogance. I mean, yeah, Mm. I had it too, 20 years ago. But over the course of time, I've realized that it's really only through listening, observing, and giving people space to think about how they want to actually make steps towards a a better future. Mm. Can you facilitate that Mm. Um, but you asked me about plants so that's an interesting story I think my first question for you would be where do you look for information about health and nutrition what's your first port of call right now if you were to actually think about well what do I trust who do I ask where would you go?
0: Uh, on the spot. Uh, I normally learn everything from YouTube, believe it or not. YouTube, and then followed by books. So when I when I find someone who I don't go to the silly YouTube videos, but I, you know, you can find a lot in podcasts and YouTube, yeah. expert videos that are an, a mind opener for me. And then when I see someone uh, that is actually impressive in what they say or they have a point, I'll then read the books. Right. Yeah.
1: So that's that's a good strategy, mm-hmm. and. In addition to that, I think for somebody who doesn't necessarily have your starting point, the strategy may be flawed because they will be looking on YouTube at all sorts of other things and they'll be looking for things that give them an emotional attachment. Correct. Uh, there's a hook. Yeah. Um, a clickbait. And a clickbait. And of yeah. course, you know, that's human nature. Yeah. We do do that, but it can lead us down the wrong path sometimes, or at least the path that is not as evidence-based. Mm. And in life and in science, we struggle to create frameworks that help us to sort be guided in the right direction. But we have to start somewhere. Yeah. And so the scientific method is essentially a way of aiming to reduce uncertainty. Mm. And when you perform trials, you're asking yourself a question, you're creating a hypothesis and you're testing the hypothesis. So it's helpful to look at studies because regardless of how they're financed and who's running them, there is a peer review process in order for that study to be published. And of course, then you look at the, the reputableness of the journal. You see, okay, what colleagues endorse this journal? What colleagues are editors of this journal? Could this be something that's that's trustworthy? And then you start to build up a pattern and a picture of consistent information. So rather than just thinking, oh, there's an outlier, they're saying something different and interesting, you think, hmm, that's different and interesting. Is there any kind of consensus before that that we could look upon to see, is that a logically consistent route?
0: Mm.
1: Now, if you've got the greatest thinkers of the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th century, then they're usually independent thinkers that come up with something brand new. But there's usually been a consistent sort of theory that they build on in order to get to that place. Yeah. In nutrition studies, it's a wild west on YouTube. <laughs> it's a wild west on Instagram.
0: Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. If you and go to a, a personal trainer, it's a wild west. If you go to a nutritionist, that is different than uh, your last nutritionist. It's a wild west.
1: It is. And so it's really challenging. And I do feel sorry for people trying to navigate this. But my my advice is to look for peer review and consistency across a number of different modalities of study. So when it comes to nutrition, you look, yes, at mechanistic data, it's interesting, it creates hypotheses. Then you look at you know studies on a sort of small scale. And again, that creates more of a hypothesis that you're building on. And then you look at epidemiological data, data on humans over large populations to see, does this play out not just in mice, but could this actually be applicable to the human body? Hmm. And when you put all the different types of information together, that's when you can build a picture that seems broadly accurate. Mm. And that's what scientists aim to do when they're creating guidelines. I love this
0: conversation so much.
1: Oh, good. (laughs) That's
0: exactly (laughs) my view of the world. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So when you look at the World Cancer Research Fund, they look at hundreds of studies and they say, okay, the cornerstone of a cancer-preventing diet is a diet rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes. Okay, we have a consensus. When you look at the World Health Organization, they talk about how processed meat is a class one carcinogen, because there is enough study data from hundreds of studies to show that it is definitely carcinogenic. Mm. Okay, we have a broad focus of evidence there. When you look at the American College of Cardiology, they say a plant based diet is one of the number one things you can do to prevent risk of heart disease, which is the biggest killer here in the UK. It's the biggest killer in the US.
0: It is, I think, globally the number
1: one. Right. Yeah. And you start to build up a picture, which is not one person saying one thing about their supplement or one person saying one thing about their macronutrient you're building a picture when you look at uh, the blue zones of the world dan butner's journalistic research on all the little pockets of the world that have the highest amount of human longevity the cornerstone of their diet is a plant-rich diet plant-predominant diet and in some cases a plant-exclusive diet that's one of the things that they have in common when you look at uh, diabetes guidelines. Uh, Royal Colleges and uh, the American College of um, Clinical Endocrinology, they talk about how plant-based diets can be amazing for preventing type 2 diabetes. Mm. And so you look at all these different areas and you realise that the broad consensus of people who actually study the data is actually very consistent. But you look at these shiny influencers or these people who like to clickbait content And you you sort of feel doubtful Mm. because you think, well, why are they saying this different thing? Is someone trying to hide something from me? And that's, again, another part of the human psyche. They'll say, oh, this is what your doctor's not telling you. This is what, you you know, this is what the pharmaceutical industry is trying to hide from you. Well, really? Or are you just trying to get clickbait? (laughs)
0: Correct. (laughs) I mean, in a very interesting way, I think you're you're spot on. Are you you saying I should not get my info from you?
1: (laughs) I, I'm saying you have to think.
0: Uh, yeah, you, you have to be discriminative, to be in, discriminative. In, in terms of what you let in. But but here's the question. The question for me is you're absolutely right. Actually, it's, it's almost a no brainer when you think about it. huh? Uh, but but at the same time, you know, if, you obje- if the objective is different. So I was mostly plant based, mostly. I only allowed myself to have milk in my coffee and I ate fish like once every two weeks for 24 years of my life almost, right? And then I started at the time, I know I don't look at it anymore, but I was very athletic in my mid 40s, worked out really, really hard. And I started to use those apps that allowed me to measure, you know, my diet and, and my different nutrition intake. And I remember vividly, like two and a half months in, I worked out really hard that day. So I had three protein shakes. And then on the third one, the app said, you've just met your protein requirement for the day. I was like, what? <laughs> so I haven't met my protein requirements for the last 24 years, right? <laughs> Which is quite interesting. Started started to study that. And of course, as a man, right, you want to have muscles, but also in general, we all want to have muscles for our joints to not to carry very much load. There are talks about the fact that you need some fish oil or something like that to be able to, uh, you know, allow your masculine side and testosterone to be increased. And, you know, you need this vitamin D that doesn't come from this, but comes from that, And so, yes, you're right. It seems to be clear to me, like if your target is to not be diabetic and not to have, you know, cancer in the long term and so on, plant-based seems to be scientifically provable, right? But then with other objectives, you you need to eat a cow a, a year or something like that.
1: You know what? Even if you did eat a cow a year, that's not actually as much as what a lot of people eat.
0: Is that true? Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: You know, I think it's around 70 billion land animals are killed every single year for us to consume. I, I know the number, yeah, yeah. yeah? It's, uh, it
0: is, it's more or less, yeah. yeah.
1: And just think about that for a minute. I mean... How, it's 10 cows <laughs> per person. I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, if, and for the, for those of us who don't eat that much, then it's probably 12, 15 cows per person. Right. Unbelievable.
1: Yes. So we just really need to take a step back and think, how much cow do we actually need? Um, and do we need a cow I, at
0: all? No, hold on. I th- actually think it's because they count uh, birds into that right yeah but it's still incredibly high when you think about it it is
1: it's incredibly high and I, I think what makes me interested is is you talked about the psychology of men and the importance of muscle and masculinity and I think that's one of the major things that really actually plays into the narrative around eating plants not being good for men because somehow you know you have to be a man you have to kill the animal you have to hunt you know you <laughs> no, have to please no <laughs> <laughs> But i don't i don't see many men out there
0: yeah <laughs> they are doing stabbing
1: that. <laughs> cows and i'd be quite concerned if i did so <laughs> i think there is a lot of storytelling mm. actually around uh, our relationship with meat right from i guess the beginning of human origins really because even from the beginning i would say looking at the data from what neolithic man Used to eat, looking at fossilized poo essentially gives you a really good indicator of the fibre content of the yeah. diet, and it was extremely high. You know, we were definitely more gatherers than hunters, for sure. Of
0: course, I mean, you have to think about it. You'd <laughs> you'd capture something every you know weak and feed the entire tribe uh-huh it's definitely not you know they didn't have cold cuts in the morning and you know and uh, and uh, salmon in the, at night and you know as taken uh, for lunch they no, didn't they yeah. didn't
1: and you know it when you look at um you know, the warriors of the roman empire i understand that there was a lot of grains being eaten you know mm. they were the, they were the strongest and the chia seeds became the massively um valued protein source of the ancient aztecs i just think we need to maybe take a step back from the western narrative and also in some ways oh, i i know i'm sort of going slightly off course here but i look at the monotheistic religions you know you look at the origins of judaism christianity and islam you know, there's this whole, especially Judaism and Christianity. There's this very, there's this whole Lamb of God, the slaughter, the the, necess- the necessity of sacrifice. Um,
0: oh, you th- you think they set the industry off? I think, <laughs> I think there's definitely some
1: subconscious programming in mm. our minds about the sacrificial lamb as being something that is really important for us and our redemption. Mm but then you look at eastern religions and you see a very different picture anyway i know that's not where we're going with this
0: but no 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 we go anywhere this is actually quite interesting i never thought of that at all but definitely the same sacrifice the abraham sacrifice i think is really
1: of his own son yeah
0: yeah, of, yeah. i mean that's available in islam as well right yeah and and uh, you I, you know i think of my of my muslim friends and many of them will actually sort of use the argument of but God said, eat meat. Like, yeah. you know, it's... It, but it's... did
1: God actually say to eat meat? This is the interesting thing, I think. In fact, there's a new film coming out, mm-hmm. which I think you might find very interesting. It's called Christspiracy, Spiracy. Mm. Um, and it's oh, about... Wow. It's, yeah, it's about our relationship with the scriptures... Not just Christianity, yeah. All religions. So it's not it's not.
0: So one I read particular. a book that was incredibly valuable called "The History of God." I don't remember the name of the author. She was a, a priest of some sort and a Christian priest, and then she became uh, atheist and came back to Christianity. and And she speaks about the history. She she calls it the history of God. Of course, you know, if you're a believer, there is no history to God. God is not time based. But but in her view, it's the whole idea of how religious faith would affect the next religious faith yeah so so you know you could see some clear signs of the book of dead uh, of the pharaonic religions into the judaism and you know the the whole idea of afterlife and you know the torture and all of that. And then you can see that in Islam because Prophet Muhammad came in Medina and Medina was really pop- populated by Jews. And it's, you know, um, you can see the the de- deities of Hinduism in Buddhism just yes. looking a little more Chinese and different colours. And yes. you can easily start to track those things. And it's quite interesting. And I
1: think it's interesting to see the, the relationship between Sikhism and then you got Shintoism as well because yeah. Sikhism obviously came from The prevailing Hindu and Muslim, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting, yeah. But then, you know, they they created another. Monotheistic faith. Yeah, um, oh, it is fascinating. I love it. I love. Stu- I love studying religion. Actually,
0: I do. I do too. I mean, my, my approach to it though is that even if some of it doesn't land well with me, I I stick to the parts that land well. You, you know what like I mean? Like the Baha'is. Yeah. You,
1: you're a Baha'i by by is nature. That true? Yes. Oh,
0: the Baha'is do that. They do that. And I, I, no, I didn't study Bahaism actually. I uh-huh. had a, a friend that told me I should, and I didn't. Well, so what what do they do? They they take what's good from every religion.
1: Essentially, yes.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I call it the fruit salad religion.
1: Well, it's Baha'i. You should be Baha'i. Is that true? I'm going to study it then.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a, in a very interesting way, if I gave you a basket of apples and two of them were bad, you don't throw the whole basket, right? Exactly. You, you keep the good bits. You and, keep the good bits. And, yeah, and there are so um, many good bits everywhere. So, yeah.
1: And that's very interesting because I guess that draws us back to the previous part of our conversation around the scientific method. You draw out the good bits. Exactly. I was going to go
0: there. I was going to go there <laughs> because as as a scientist myself, I, I also see the faults of the scientific method, right? So I think there is the, the religion of Darwinism, which is totally ha- dealt with in the... Uh, in the in the scientific uh, community, as a as a face, it's like if you're not a darwinist, we're not going to publish you.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, I had a guest here. Although
1: he was Christian, wasn't he?
0: I don't know actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so I had a guest here, Dr. Stephen Meyer, which I think was one of my favorite conversations. Who wrote a book called. Um, the Return of the God Hypotheses. He, he wrote several times Darwin's Doubt, the, the Universe in a Cell or something like that. Mm. And, then, and, then, and And he was discussing that whole idea of the religious Darwinism. And even Darwin himself had doubts, but that they were removed from the scriptures, if you want. And mm. then, you know, it's really interesting, which I think is really what we're talking about here. Again, I mean, veganism, for some, is a religion.
1: You can see it's, well, it's actually protected um, uh, under the Human Rights um, Convention as a belief system. Is it? Yes, because, um, well, I mean, there's a lot of prejudice against the concept of veganism, and there's a lot of interesting psychology around why that would be. But essentially, if you did say it was a religion, then my hypothesis would be that it's a religion of minimizing harm. And that's mm. essentially quite like Jainism, actually. Mm, so, that's very
0: true, actually, yeah.
1: Yeah, so really the tenets of, of, of veganism are very similar to those of Jainism in that the ultimate aim is wherever practically possible, you're reducing harm.
0: J- Jainism is a sect of what?
1: Well, it, it originated in India. Yeah. So it's it's very much connected to Hinduism Um and those kinds of um, ways of thinking, but they are they are very much more focused on ahimsa, which is uh, the concept of essentially minimizing harm and, and living with compassion.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, 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 I know I know someone who told me her mom went to Jainism. yeah, and and the practice is so strict that well, you don't harm anything at all,
1: yes, I mean, obviously you can you can be a jane and and not be somebody that sweeps the floor looking for ants but that's that's the sort of trope i think that's that's Mm. the very that's what people think of if they think of janes is that they they're literally sort of desperately trying not to touch or harm anything at all but you can be jane and and not have those sort of specific um practices and rituals but yeah it basically is it really aims to minimize harm and Live with compassion, which I think most people, if you really thought about it, would 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 understand and would get behind. But there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that gets in the way of being able to do that.
0: I want to go there, but I'm so keen now to know where do you get all of that spiritual study from? Is that part a big part of you?
1: It's a big part of me.
0: Yeah. Always?
1: Always. Mm. Yeah. I... I've always felt different. Um, Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
0: we can relate. Yes.
1: So I've always felt that there was something greater than myself and that I was part of something beautiful and loving and that I needed to express that beauty and love in some form and that would pretty much be the purpose of my existence which is a weird thing to say honestly
0: at all it's the only (laughs) thing to say
1: maybe it's the only thing to say
0: a true video gamer will guarantee you that this is it really so so you see the the uh, the idea is if when you're when you're stuck in a video game you you only think about the events that are presented to you on the screen you never really zoom out and say but i'm not in the screen I'm actually a, sitting on a sofa outside the screen, outside the mess, right? And there is a game console that I have control over. There are other beings in that realm that are not in the screen, right? And, and when you see it that way, suddenly you realize that if you spend your whole life looking at the screen and navigating the game, you're missing the point. Yes. <laughs> you're missing the point. The point is much bigger, than your physical physical form
1: yes the point is much bigger much bigger and but you have to play the game
0: but that also takes i mean if you don't mind me being a, a, a podcaster here the point is much bigger for me it's also much bigger for the chicken and the cow and so you know in a very interesting way their physical forms are not really the big deal if you if you think about it some people will say that the answer they are sort of non-player characters in the game, you know. They're they're there to provide nutrition for you. And... That's
1: what some people say. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know. When you watch footage of how your food is made,
0: oh, that's a different story altogether. Yeah,
1: you know, you see it, you see it, you see the fear, you see the blood, you see the screams, you hear the screams of the of the of the pig as they're going into the gas chamber. That's not something I want to be a part of.
0: So that, that, to me, I think is a very different story than the, than the nutritious nutrition value. Yes. So if you, if you really think of our, our whole, whole wholesome existence as physical and spiritual, as the oneness of all of us, uh, that idea of some of us consuming the rest of us, is a very interesting concept to think about.
1: Yes, it is. And I wonder I wonder what that does. This is not I I can't say that this is part of the scientific chat because it's not something within the realms of science, but I do wonder what it does to us energetically when we consume fear. Hmm. Because
0: you are quite a speaker with that pause there. Hmm. That is quite interesting actually. Because we're not just consuming the physical matter, we're consuming the energetic. You may have just changed a lot of people with that statement.
1: I hope so. I don't think people think about that.
0: So, but th- but th- this to me is a question of the industry, not a question of the concept, wouldn't you agree? Mm. I mean, in a very interesting way, if you if you raise the lamb and you, you know, it roamed free and you, you know, it lived to be five or whatever. I don't know how long they live. And then eventually you consumed it. That's... Lambs
1: don't live to five. They're babies. Uh, I don't know. The sheep, sheep. Sheep, sheep, Lambs sheep. grow into okay. sheep. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, so lamb is only a baby. Is that true? Yes. You're always eating a baby when you eat lamb.
0: Holy cow. Mm-hmm.
1: Holy lamb. Holy lamb. The sacrificial lamb.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, sheep, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we... I, I don't, I don't eat red meat myself. I'm, guys, by the way, everyone listening, we're not advocating anything here. We're just we're just chatting. pondering. Yeah, we're just chatting. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It's an interesting point, but once again, some people will tell you this is part of the design of being human. I mean, you look at scientific evidence of our molars and the way our teeth are and the need for us to get animal protein and so on and so forth. And you will say this is part of the design.
1: So I never like talking about sort of how we're supposed to eat, because I think that draws people into an argument of me telling people what to do, which I don't like to do. And I also think that when we look at our teeth and our dentition, there's something interesting about our teeth, and that is the way that we can move our jaws from side to side. Mm. Generally speaking, omnivores tend to move their jaws up and down, but they can move side to side. Herbivores always have to move their jaws side to side. Carnivores always have to move their jaws up and down. We don't eat like lions, although many men think that they'd like to be like lions. Mm. We don't eat like a lion. We don't eat raw. We don't tear our food up limb from limb with our mouths. We don't eat with our jaws going up and down. We have to prepare the meat. We have to cook the meat. We have to get the best nutrients from the meat by cooking it. Um, And we have to chew from side to side, like ruminants. I'm not saying we are ruminants, we're not. But it's interesting that there's so many sort of absolutist arguments on both sides. Correct. And I never like to get into those arguments, because ultimately, I can see logically that as humans, we've really survived by eating anything and everything that we could within our place of origin so Inuits would eat fish and seals and whales not because they were the best for longevity but because that's what they could eat Mm. and you know if you lived in the African savannah you'd eat a lot of tubers and you'd eat a lot of grains and you'd eat a lot of um, vegetables and fruits and you'd eat a little bit of meat here and there when you could get it because that's where you were so I think it's helpful to look away from what we think we should eat, because as humans, we basically just eat whatever we can to survive. We need to start thinking about, well, what do we need to eat to actually thrive? And that's where longevity comes in. And that's where looking at populations of people that have lived an extremely long time come in because they've lived well past the need to reproduce that's where we should be looking really for our information about how to live long rather than thinking of oh, this is what our ancestors used to eat mm.
0: so i'm with you actually following really well you say it so well but the question then in in the supermarket era where we can find anything we have to make a choice
1: we have to make a choice
0: bottom line what's your recommendation what's ultimate choice
1: ultimately eating as many unprocessed plants as you possibly can when we look at the western world with our supermarkets and our packaged foods, we look at the biggest causes of death. There's four, four biggest causes of death. Heart disease, diabetes, cancer and lung disease. 80% of deaths, premature deaths in the world happen because of those four things. How do we do that? How do you prevent that? Well, there's four ways. There's four ways of preventing that. Eating a plant-predominant diet, not smoking, sensible use of alcohol, and moving your body. 80% of those, 80% of causes of premature death can be resolved by doing those four things. Just think about that for a minute, let that sink in. (laughs) If we know this, why aren't we doing this? And interestingly, the number one thing out of those four is eating a plant-predominant diet. It's the most powerful of those four.
0: What's predominant, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean, you don't have to be a vegan. I am vegan. By choice. By choice.
0: Philosophical reasons more than just diet.
1: Yes, I feel as though my priority is human health. I became a doctor years ago. I love people. I want to help people. So always my priority is human health. However, I wanted to widen my circle of compassion because I, ha- I there's no scientific reason why I couldn't. I didn't need to eat animals. So I chose not to. But I appreciate that's not a choice everybody else wants to make. And when we look at what the vast majority of the science says, it's it's plant predominant. Whether that means eighty five percent or one hundred percent, eat as many plants as you possibly can is what it means. So that's 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 probably my number one piece of dietary advice and then everything else can sort of be more specific from there but what you're aiming to do with that is increase the diversity of plants increase the colors the varieties and uh, the quality if you can but really most of the studies we have show it doesn't have to be organic it doesn't have to be uh, local it can just be more plants for the win really (laughs) That's it.
0: Really not. Try and keep it very
1: simple. Yeah,
0: but you say you say whole plants, right? So it's not something processed from a bag. It is, you know, a carrot.
1: Yes, and there's also benefit from having minimally processed plants too. So, for example, tempeh and tofu are minimally processed soybeans, and they are extremely healthy. Uh, just because there is some element of processing doesn't mean that it's inherently unhealthy. Ultra processed foods, I would argue, are mostly inherently unhealthy, but there is a certain element of processing that can happen looking at the NOVA classification, which is actually probably beyond the remit of our conversation, but some element of processing is fine, but ultimately you want to have as many unprocessed as you can.
0: Okay. Very specific question because this is my podcast and I always turn it into my session.
1: Well, you can ask me whatever you want. Yes, That's beauty I'm, I'm,
0: of it. I mean, uh, mo- most of my listeners, I don't know if it's selfish of me, but I always ask questions related to me, right? So I, I get this longevity side of it. But I have to say openly, the best I've ever felt now and previously is when I worked out reasonably well, okay? And I ate enough protein to generate muscles. Yes. Okay. And the struggle with plant-based protein is that you have to eat a lot of things in the process to get enough protein. And and I think the, the real argument is people will say one gram of protein for every kilogram of body weight uh, on, on a normal day and one, and two grams of protein almost uh, for every kilogram of body weight, which in my case would be 170, 180 grams of protein a day, which you can never get from plants.
1: So we look at the amount of protein that we need for longevity and we look at the amount of protein we need for muscle building. And for most people with a plant predominant diet, it's possible. I get what you're saying. When you're eating a plant based diet, you tend to have the protein attached to other macronutrients like fiber.
0: Carbs and sugar and other stuff.
1: So. With that in mind, I think it's also helpful to think about. Well, yes, we need protein for muscle building, absolutely, and it's especially important for when you get into the years where it's harder to build muscle. Um, and it's important to be mindful of protein, but there are, are ways you, are to you do saying it. I'm old,
0: yes, I. Am. <laughs> <laughs> but there are ways to
1: do it. I'm saying for anyone after mm-hmm. over the age of forty, mm-hmm. really. Um, so, but there are definitely ways to do it, and when you know you, you can always. You see stories of people... I mean, you've probably seen that guy at the gym who's really muscly and looks amazing and feels great, but then drops dead of a heart attack. Correct. 100%. So I think it's important to look at both uh, muscle strength, bone mineral density, and dietary patterns. Uh, Well, I say both. That's three things. But look at them all together and decide where your comfort zone lies. How muscly do you want to be? How much bone mineral density do you want? And how long do you want to live? So there's no doubt that resistance training is important for um, bone mineral density and muscle strength. So whatever your dietary proclivities, resistance training is brilliant and thoroughly recommended because that ticks all the boxes. It helps you with longevity, it helps you with muscle maintenance and and growth, and it helps you with bone mineral density. Plant-based diets will definitely help you more with longevity. There's no doubt about that. Lots of studies to show More plant proteins versus animal proteins is going to essentially lead you to a potential longer life. So your question is, well, how do I get enough protein from plants? It's just a bit of planning, really. You know, things like tofu, tempeh, beans, lentils, chickpeas. um, These are good sources of protein especially tofu. I think Mm. there's a lot of bad rap for soybeans for some reason. But they're amazing. And you can use those silken tofu, you can use for salad dressings. You've got to think of ways you can sneak more protein. Nuts and seeds as well. Got great amounts of protein protein and monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats, which are amazing for longevity. But yes, I mean, it's definitely... Eminent, so eminently possible to get enough protein on a plant-based diet, but you do need to plan it, especially if you're wanting to build bulk as well. And then the question of longevity is very clear. More plants for the win.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm Googling now chickpeas, let's say. So 100 grams of chickpeas.
1: You wouldn't just have chickpeas, though. You'd have yeah, to have a I little bit of the, mix and match going on. Look up scrambled tofu.
0: Okay, so chickpeas is eight, say nine grams. Okay, uh, scrambled tofu. Can I just do do tofu?
1: Oh yeah, just do tofu. Because you can have you could have tofu in uh, your smoothie in a form of soy powder. So you can you can have like you you know you get those um, protein powders. Yeah.
0: So this is a very good question, right? Mm. Let's put the numbers together. So tofu is high in protein, seventeen grams per hundred grams. Chicken breast, for example, is thirty-one grams. So you have to eat double the amount of tofu per weight. Yes. It's not that actually that big of a difference when you really think about it. When you it, actually look at the
1: amount, it's yeah. not...
0: Yeah, I mean, 17 from 31, it is almost, you know, it's not double, but it's close to 80% more. But tofu is also easier to digest and it's, you know, softer and so on. It's not, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the real question is, you said, uh, you said protein uh, shakes.
1: If you want to add more protein without adding more fullness. If you think about, well, how do I get more in? Now you had your three shakes a day and you're like, oh, oh, I finally got the amount that the but app that, but told that's me.
0: Highly, but that's highly processed.
1: Yeah. So when you look at things like Huel mm-hmm. and other um, sort of protein shakes, they are definitely processed for sure. Mm. So have you seen, there's a bodybuilder, now what's his name?
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a documentary about.
1: And then there's, the, the, the Game Changers documentary, that one's got people like Nimai Delgado and it's got is, it, is Lewis Hamilton in it? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But all these people that are saying, oh, you can build muscle on a vegan diet, no problem. But there's one in particular who is very insistent that you can do it without the use of protein shakes. And he's extremely muscly. I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you about him afterwards. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. But it's, he was not me anyway. So He yeah. wasn't you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously. Robert Cheek. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he talks about how, yeah, you don't need protein shakes to build muscle. You can do it. I mean, I'm not a bodybuilder and it's not my area of expertise, most sadly. So I can't give you a bespoke kind but of it, muscle It, it really
0: matters. I mean, in, yeah. a, in a very interesting way. I'm, I'm being very honest here. I mean, in a very interesting way. I it sounds keep...
1: like you want to know more about how to do this whilst building muscle and eating more it's, plants. It's a,
0: it's, a yo-yo, it's a yo-yo thing for me. Because if you leave me for my own preference, I would only eat plants. Okay. Literally, I, I would only eat salads. I just love salads. Right. And it's my preference. I love it. The problem is when I do that and my muscles become weaker, my joints really suffer.
1: Yeah. Right? OK.
0: And, and so I yo I you back and I go like, nope, back to, to the gym, heavy lifting. And with heavy lifting, if you do, you don't, do
1: heavy lifting with the plants, or but, do you feel like you can't?
0: You do, If you're measuring protein, and again, this is my own scientific woo-woo, right? But I measure everything myself. If I'm, le- if I'm above that two grams per body weight, uh, kilogram per day, I recover within a day, the next morning I feel okay.
1: Right. right?
0: If, I, if I don't, if I'm below that, even if I'm at 100 grams a day of protein, pure protein, I don't recover for two or three days, right? And it's quite obvious for me that if I work out on, I don't work out heavy every day of the week, but let's say if I do that three days of the week, that those three days will need a serious protein intake during yes. that day yeah, and, and it's you know i did i did shakes for a while they you know they're really heavy mm. they're, they don't feel right
1: need to get you in touch with robert i think yeah see if he can give you a little personalized plan because um yeah i i think you're right i think when well what's interesting about plant-based diets and recovery is there seems to be because it's because it's a very anti-inflammatory way of eating. Yes, that's it,
0: the other side of it, which is so ignored. Yeah, and so important.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so a lot of athletes have said, and you can see also from what you know in terms of um, muscle recovery and uh, sort of delayed onset muscle soreness, it tends to actually generally be better when you're eating a plant-rich diet because it's very anti-inflammatory. So you're you're mm. quickly being able to then. Retrain. Hmm. So I don't think plant based diets are inherently better for muscle building because clearly it's it, the, the protein is attached to other macronutrients, but they are better for recovery and being able to retrain more quickly. Hmm. So then there's a potential benefit there if you are certainly looking at you know being able to improve the amount of times that you're training a week. Mm. that you could have potentially train more often mm. because of the ability to of the muscles to recover more quickly with mm. a, with a plant rich diet or a plant based diet but yeah you definitely need enough protein because you need to be able to use that to synthesize more muscle mm. so yeah th-
0: things like yogurt milk all of that which doesn't kill the animal are you supportive or against
1: i personally don't consume them but I recognise that there are some potential health benefits from consuming yogurt mm. more than anything else because it's it's sort of partially, probiotic, yeah, yeah, it's the probiotic content, um, and it's you know sort of partially fermented as well. Kefir, for mm. example, mm. so there are some health benefits to those foods. I don't have those, and you can obviously get fermented coconut-based kefir and other yeah, yeah. other alternatives. Yeah, yeah, um, but I. yeah, We could get into a whole conversation about muscle building and whey protein, which is not something that I'm interested in. So I don't want to go down that route. But what I will say is that, yeah, there are a lot of things about dairy that there's a reason why whey protein is so popular. But at the same time, the way that the modern dairy industry operates and the amount of the things that you're drinking alongside the milk. So again, this is not a scientific discussion, this part, but... um, there's no question that you, you do have increased levels of things like IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1 in dairy, which may be good for muscle building, but is not great for reducing cancer risk, for example. Now, I'm not saying in this conversation, as a caveat here, I'm not saying that if you drink milk, you're more likely to get cancer. But there is definitely a link between increasing IGF-1 levels in the body and increasing risk of cancer. Because if you look at like the Laronne population, yeah have you heard of the Laron population they genetically lack igf1 which means they're genetically very short mm. but they they have very very low rates of cancer in that population because they don't have igf1 um and if you have acromegaly where you know you've got higher levels of growth hormones you're also more likely to get cancers so you know you, you sort of when you look at epidemiology when you look at all the things that make a human longevity formula if you like then i wouldn't necessarily put high intakes of dairy at the top of that list
0: you see back to my original point so many conflicting choices to make so
1: just try to remember plants plants is good generally exactly let's
0: get well stay well yeah <laughs> eat plants and, as much as you can and, and honestly, reduce. yeah
1: honestly dietary guidelines people people always talk not pe- not people some people Talk badly about things like dietary guidelines. If we follow dietary guidelines, the entire pop the, the, the health of the entire population would be lifted significantly, but we don't follow dietary guidelines. Mm. So even that, even just following the dietary guidelines of your country would be an interesting place to start. Only 8% of us eat enough fruits and vegetables. Mm. 50 plus percent processed stuff. So just that's a good place to start yeah. without making it too complicated. Mm. But we didn't even talk about all the other stuff that is related to sort of health, happiness, wellness. But nutrition is big, obviously. It's mm. a big...
0: Let's talk about those then. So Get Well, Stay Well is six healing habits. Let's talk about a
1: few What of they them. are, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so I created something called the GLOVES Framework mm. because I wanted something for people to remember, GLOVES. And it stands for gratitude, love, outside, veggies, exercise, sleep. Gratitude, love, outside, veggies, exercise, and sleep. Easy, Easy peasy, right? <laughs> right? So you don't need to read this big, thick, junky book, although I'd love no, for no, you no, to no, read you do, it. you do, you do. Um, because yeah. <laughs> there's loads of studies and references and things like that. But basically, that's, that's the cornerstone of it. And then in each chapter, I explain why that is, what we can do practically to bring more of those things into our lives, yeah. and help us and the people around us
0: gratitude love receiving or giving 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 love yes talk about that
1: so babies let's talk about babies you said earlier that you weren't weren't keen on children <laughs>
0: <laughs> at, this, at this age having done the mission of of two uh, two of them yeah, i find them noisy but yes yeah babies
1: go- are noisy children are noisy yeah but children when we're when we're babies we need milk obviously talk about human milk cow milk we need we need milk we need love we really need love yeah. and when you look at studies about what helps us to function as adults then the importance of at least one loving caregiver in the life of a child is something that really comes time and again in terms of the the evidence that we have for yeah it. and the more adverse childhood events we experience the less likely it is that we can have um a life where we can more easily find happiness. So I I think it's amazing thinking about babies and how much, I mean, obviously they're they're made to be so cute and, you know, we all love babies, but there's about 700 to 1,000 synaptic connections happening a second in the brain of that baby. And those connections are fueled by love. Oh, So, you know, the love that you get from your mother, father, carer, whoever it is, um, really helps to inoculate you against the trials and tribulations of teenage angst, exam stress, relationship breakups as an adult because you had that love as a baby. Now I think that that is just absolutely incredible. Of course not everybody experiences that and I don't want people who have felt that that's not been their experience to lose hope because we are all capable of giving and receiving love, whatever age we are at. But I love the fact that love is so foundational for human experience, not at, well, human survival. Mm. You know, it's much more obvious to think about, well, the fight or flight instinct and fear as being a big driver of human survival. Of course it is. But love is actually a greater marker of human, not just survival, but longevity again, because. When you are accessing your parasympathetic nervous system, when you're accessing emotions such as joy and gratitude and compassion and forgiveness, those expansive emotions, it actually helps you to expand your peripheral awareness, expand your peripheral vision, create relationships, learn new things, form bonds with people and do the things that you're going to need to do in order to live a fulfilling and happy life and a long life. So, yeah, that's why I think love is so important.
0: It is paramount. I mean, when I talk about every child is happy if they get their basic needs for survival, I always mention and love is one of the basic needs for survival. It's very, very clear. It is, however, a struggle, I think. So one of the things I'm working on is, uh, Hannah now is helping, is, uh, is my work on love and romance, which is, I used to call it finding love. Now I'm calling it finders keepers. And it's quite interesting because the struggle in the modern world depending on how you define love, really. Uh, But the struggle for romantic love for adults is becoming, it's never been more difficult, I'd say. Yes. Uh, And the idea of love being unconditional, whether in giving it or receiving it, is becoming a very big challenge in the world. So when, when you advocate and say gloves and L is for love, for some people it's a bit out of their control to bring love into their life or to even have someone close enough to offer love to? Do you feel that this is the case?
1: I see a lot of lonely people.
0: Loneliness is on the rise, yeah.
1: In my practice, I see a lot of lonely people and a lot of isolated people and a lot of people who lack social connection. And there's no question that that impacts their physical health and it impacts their lifespan ultimately. And I'd also reflect that in that social milieu, we have to take steps to consciously bring more love into our lives. Mm. And romantic love is important. And studies of happiness and the blue zones of happiness show that Having a loving romantic partner is one of the things that really helps to um, improve your rates of survival. And I also want to point out that there are many forms of love too. And I'll talk about that in this chapter. Different religions, in fact, I bring religion into it a little bit there because different religions talk about all the different kinds of love. And the definitions of love that they bring are quite interesting. And... When you think about universal love, then there's actually plenty of that to go around. But you have to be cognizant of the fact that you can give it and not just receive it. I think people are so used to thinking, I need, I want, I lack. But if they switch that mindset and instead tap into, well, how does it feel to feel loving what could I do to express love? Then it changes everything, and it allows you to bring more love into your life quite simply
0: so interesting i I actually I agree a hundred percent my 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 view is that wanting to be loved is ego. yeah, it's look at me, I'm worthy. look at me, I can be loved and and feeling a struggle for not getting that. Is really your ego playing up, telling you, you see, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, but that's not true at all, right?
1: Correct. So our ego also drives anxiety because when we're anxious, we're thinking, I am not worthy of. People are judging me, people are looking at me, what are people thinking of me? Yeah. And it's actually about me. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you stop making it about you, then in a way, the ego can just be a bit quiet. The ego is trying to protect you. Like, the ego does a lot of things. I think when you say the word ego, people think, "Oh, you think that I'm full of myself. You think that I'm, yeah, I'm you know, arrogant." That. So it's not like that. It's not about that at all. The ego is sen- simply that sense of self, but also where the sense of self can go wrong is when it's trying to be overprotective and um, to Sepertic. protect you. Yeah, exactly. So taking the ego out of the equation and that comes to, to me and my work, you know, as well. When I think about my patients, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from anybody in my clinical practice was to take my ego out of the consultation room. Because if it meant too much to me that somebody changed their mind or do what I think they should do, then it's pointless. I've lost them. I, I need to care. Obviously, you need to care about your patients. I do care deeply. But... If I take my ego out of that and just think, I'm listening, then you you learn a lot more. But it means that they're also much more ready to to think about where they can make changes, and it means that it's their responsibility. It's not on you. Okay, a lot a lot of doctors actually is a slight t- tangential point, but a lot of doctors reach burnout because they feel so much moral or responsibility. Yeah. I, I didn't help that person, I should have done this, I should have done that. Yeah. But it's not about them. Yeah, They're just facilitating. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can facilitate somebody in their own journey towards health, then that brings a lot of satisfaction. But it also means that you don't have to bear the burden when they make their own choices otherwise.
0: Yeah. It's interesting how we mix that in probably the most divine of all emotions, right? So so you, you would associate... Uh, Love, which is really the most divine of all emotions, with me, me, me. You know, I, I, I want to receive it. I deserve it. I'm struggling because I don't get it. And, and I'm anxious that I may not get it. When the, the true joy of love, if you really know love, is to give it. Yes. That's, and, and a lot of people don't see that. And I think the way the universe works is that if you pour love into it, it will bulge a little bit and then pour love back at you. And I think yes, most Mo. people, yeah, most people don't see that side. is that one of the easiest things if you want to receive love is to give love. okay, And giving love, by the way, doesn't have to be by walking to someone and and saying "I love you, right it It could simply by feeling, you know, compassion for someone who is angry in the streets or you know uh, someone that was uh, stressed walking by you and you know going to the bus station or whatever those kinds of things in you if you find that ability to actually look at someone and say yeah I understand you must be going through a lot today I I love you it's still it's okay you've never really hurt me yeah I think that that game is probably in my mind one of the most healing feelings ever Yes. It's, it's it's that feeling of accepting life as it is and making love the foundation of your the way you deal with life makes a huge difference.
1: Yes, it does. It really does. And imagine how that would feel to be able to have that mindset even when someone has hurt you. Hmm. Yeah. Because we do get hurt by people in life. They disappoint us. They betray us. They don't meet our expectations. <laughs> so trying to shift where our expectations are is one important aspect of it. Yeah. But also finding love for somebody, even if they've intentionally hurt you. I mean, that is, I would say.
0: Intentionally is a big word. It is. I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone intentionally hurts you. Very few.
1: Very few, yeah. very few. And hopefully many of us won't have to experience that. But it happens, yeah. and I think even finding even finding an expansive way of feeling towards somebody who you feel has intentionally hurt you is a way to actually firstly decide well actually have they intentionally hurt me, maybe they didn't, yeah. but even if they did, it can also offer an important way of healing for yourself mm. because that happens. People go through tragedies you know they. I'll never forget hearing a story of a GP, in fact, who went on a home visit to visit somebody and uh, he got stabbed by the person that was with the person he was doing a home visit for. And he spoke with nothing but love for the person that did that to him. Yeah, And I was filled with a lot of emotion reading that story and hearing him speak about the, the experience because... And we always, okay, so, so one of the things that I talk about later in the book, I think hope is overrated because life can be extremely challenging and you don't. it doesn't go the way we want it to go. And I think hope sometimes can actually give us a false sense of happiness. I think finding joy in small things, finding a sense of enchantment in the moment that you're at, and also finding awe is one of the things that really can drive love in our lives. And I felt awe-inspired by that person. And we all like to feel awe-inspired. And one of the most strong ways of feeling awe is watching somebody deal with pain, suffering, adversity, and just being completely overwhelmed by how they're inspiring you through their challenges. And that's something I, I have no doubt you've experienced. The people have felt awed by you and how you have dealt with the things that you have faced in your life. And there's a reason why your story is so powerful, is because we feel awe when we're faced with the beauty of human kindness, human endeavor, human love, human forgiveness, that gives us the greatest strength and the greatest awe in our lives, which is just, yeah.
0: It's funny when you really think about it because Sometimes I tend to believe that, you know, in in physics, we say that the quantum field is what everything is made up of. So most people, let's not overcomplicate things, but can you imagine that the universe is a very big box of Lego bricks, right? And when you need to build something, you just borrow a few Lego bricks and put them together and something comes out. This is in a very basic way, an understanding of the quantum field theory. And when I write about love and, and romance, romance is really, romantic love is just one form of love. I want to come back to that. I call it the spiritual theory that perhaps the other world, the parallel world to this physical world is also made up of Lego bricks and that from those Lego bricks, you can build everything, right? And, and to me, these are, I, I think these are the things that are never changing, they're ever present you know consciousness compassion and love is the only three i've counted so far right they don't make sense but they are truly ever present you just need to tune into them and then you'll you'll find them i always say falling in love is a is a weird thing because love has always been there you just tuned into it okay you never really go and say okay on the second date i think i'm 20% in love with her right? On the fourth now, oh, yeah, this is going well. It's 35. You don't feel that gradual increase of love. You're either zero or on. And on is 100%. And it happens when you tune into it, not when you grow it, right? Yet, we build our physical lives of so many other emotions that are really futile. They don't really, they, they are generated in your head, they're not there you have to create them hate or the need for vengeance or anger or you have to tell yourself a scenario oh this guy shot me because he was he's my enemy and no he wasn't your enemy he was angry at the whole world he has a very long story right and that very long story you happen to cross at a point in time it wasn't about you at all and by the way you're okay so chill right <laughs> and it's quite interesting when you really think about those things it takes a, a slightly less engaged in the details approach you just have to look at the at the bigger picture and the bigger picture is i'm okay never really meant anything against me and if i had gone through what he had gone through i uh, this was one of the best sentences ever said in this podcast was uh, edith Eager in season one and edith was you know if people know her story she was uh, basically taken to to Auschwitz and really experienced the whole atrocity of what was happening and she basically ends up saying I, I, you know I, I asked her how did she go back to Auschwitz afterwards and so on and she said mo if I if I was born in Germany and promised to the world I would have been a, a, a little Nazi myself okay and you know that idea of understanding that you're not better than the other person you just had a different life story if, yeah. if you had his life story you would have shot your doctor.
1: Yes. It's that whole concept of walking in another's shoes. and But, but not just walking, feeling it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting um, them on, really. And, yeah. and telling yourself, if I lived that, where would I be?
1: And also, if I told myself the stories that they've told themselves, or the people around them that they were surrounded by as well. I think there's so many things that we cannot control, and so many things that we're not cognizant of when we make decisions. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think finding that empathy is really important. And you talked about love as being this expansive love of consciousness. And what was the other thing you said? Compassion. Compassion.
0: Which makes no sense in the brain, but is always present.
1: It's always present. I love that. And I think about that. When I think about that in terms of the human body, we think about our hearts, don't we? Yeah. Even though it's supposed to just be a muscle that pumps. Not at all.
0: It's the big antenna.
1: Even just thinking, if you just, even if you just take out sort of ethereal or lofty concepts around emotions, you just think about, well, what is it doing? It's creating its own electricity. <laughs> it literally creates its own electricity. And that electrical field is, I think, around about 60 times higher in amplitude than the electrical field that your brain can generate. And then you think about the magnetic field of your heart. That's about 100 times greater than the magnetic field that your brain is generating. Yeah. Your heart is like your antenna for the world. And you can measure it about a metre or so outside of the body. Those electromagnetic frequencies, you can measure them with devices. Uh, SQUID is is the acronym for the device. I can't remember what it stands for now. But when I think about the electromagnetic field of the heart and how you can measure that objectively and how strong that is when you, you know, using an ECG versus an EEG, you can measure those things and think, we are creatures of love. We create our own electricity and we are creatures of love. And every single atom is vibrating in our bodies with its own tiny, little electrical field of love. (laughs) Um,
0: Seems to me like the actual building block. Yes. Of the non physical world, of manifest, the non-physical manifested world. in the physical world in emotion. Yeah. But it is really the underlying brick of the non physical world. So just a golden brick. Yeah, just like you'd say protons and uh, electrons and right? And and you can make stuff out of those in the physical world. And it's quite interesting because the definition of antenna is, you know, normally, I I was talking to a friend about one of my favorite episodes here was Mark Gober, again, season one about the idea that consciousness is pervasive and that the, the brain receives consciousness almost like a radio receiver receives the radio waves. And so we think that that consciousness happens in the brain. But the reality is, I think, that, yeah, maybe we can comprehend consciousness in the brain, but that the actual receiver of the non-physical world is really how your heart, not your pump, but your heart, your uh, intuition, your... I don't know.
1: Well, that's the beauty of it, is we don't know. but We, we, can, we, we never will. We, we, know, well, we won't until... I'm sure... I feel we will know. You think so? I think... I feel that there is a knowing.
0: <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs>
1: It's hard to put that into words and the brain doesn't know how to.
0: So one of my bigger confessions is I'm reasonably balanced in my feminine and masculine. I think I'm more on the feminine side than the masculine side. Feminine and masculine is not body parts and it's not gender identity and it's not sexual preferences. Just if anyone is trying to get angry quickly, feminine and masculine are approaches to the world. Attributes, characters, right? And I have to say, that the, the 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 analytical approach, the hyper analytical masculine approach to life that we ended up in in the world today, which I think is messing everything up, is very good for the scientific method where we started this conversation because it's logical, it's analytical, it's linear, and so on. But it it is unable to comprehend anything beyond the physical. Anything beyond the physical is not understood there. And I think my journey from being so trained through my corporate career to be hyper-analytical, hyper-masculine, data-driven, and so scientific, and so on, ended on, I think it was January 2018, if I remember correctly, when I suddenly realized can't comprehend anything non-physical if I just count on that machine, that machine is really not going to receive any of it. It's going to give me problems along the way, you know, talking about observing it and it does it exist or not. And that the the heart, the sensual side of us really is what's capable of comprehending that side. And which means in response to what you said, I don't think we'll ever understand it. We can intuitively grasp it, but I don't think we'll ever be able to get it into words. I don't, I don't think we'll ever be able as humanity to communicate to ourselves. I got it. I understood that other side, probably impossible.
1: Yes. You can feel it though. You can feel it.
0: Feel it is very (laughs) different. I
1: know, but you can't prove to someone else so they can feel it too. Correct.
0: Yeah. But you can sit next (laughs) to someone in a, in a beautiful conversation like this and feel it together. I yeah, think that's I think that's what humanity is unable to surrender to that, that the the connection between us should not be just reduced to words, yeah. which are generated from the brain.
1: That's the interesting paradigm that we live in. And it's also the dichotomy we have right now, because we're talking on a podcast using words. And that's all that we can express to the people who are listening with their ears. But I like to think that through the words that we communicate with one another, we are able to help people feel wherever they are, that they are connected to this concept and this conversation. And it doesn't have to be through their brains or their intellect, it's through their heart.
0: I always say that when I'm really enjoying the conversation of which this is one, that I wish people were in the studio. I really wish they could feel the energy in this place. I really wish they could feel the connection. And I know for a fact that YouTube will not capture it. I know for a fact that Apple Podcasts will not capture it. But, but, it, but it is those moments when you, when you talk about get well, stay well. It's not always the physical veggies that you're going to consume. There is so much more that's happening beyond, uh, beyond our physical form, gratitude, love. There are so many yeah and it is uh, it takes a bit of time to slow down as i always say huh so it's the whole purpose of this podcast is the idea of slow down to that you can feel those slowing down is healthy for you yeah now, do you have two more hours or should we meet again
1: we should meet again there's much so. more we can say
0: <laughs> i know <laughs> Jemma, i'm so grateful that you showed up with and i mean showed up with the, with all of you and all of your essence which i felt uh, very enriching and healing for me thank you
1: thank you mo i feel the same
0: yes and for all of you listening uh yeah i wish you were here honestly (laughs) i don't i mean i i wanted to talk about veganism and plant-based food and all of that stuff which i think is important i have to admit it's uh something that we all need to look into and there is evidence behind it but uh yeah we spoke about religion and connection and compassion and love. And I met someone that I feel is a lot more soul than the physical form as she wrote about in the, in her first book. I really encourage you to read this. I'm definitely going to be reading this on my trip back. Get well, stay well, Gemma Newman. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I hope you help me spread it uh, tell others about it i hope you post about it on your social media I hate social media but post about it anyway rate the podcast on your podcast player uh, and come watch me on youtube we love that idea of having a face to the sound to the voice that you hear i know some of you many of you will listen to this on their commute but listen to it again in the evening on your uh, on youtube and while you're there subscribe and uh, hit the notification button. They they told me to tell you this. All I can tell you is this kind of conversation needed a bit of slowing down. I am a huge advocate that it doesn't matter how busy you are this week. There's always a tiny bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.